Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. It's episode 151, and we're going to talk about how to get started in van life. That is, when do you know when it's time to pull the trigger, turn the key, and hit the road? We're also going to talk about an easy way to secure your rig so no one's going to try to steal it. Maybe. A tale from the road involving Missoula, Montana. And a product review of the Bodega Fridge, the 48-liter one that was sent to me for free. I'll tell you about that. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Thank you so much for being here. First off, a humble apology for getting this episode out late. I literally sat at my desk to record the episode, and I got a text message that changed everything. (laughs) And unfortunately, I can't tell you the story because it involves somebody else and there's confidences involved. But, you know, sometimes you get a text message and something becomes very important and that's what you have to do. And that's what happened to me. So thank you. Thank you for your patience. And uh, maybe as a way of compensation, I am offering stickers. Yes, I have a big stack of stickers here that I will mail to you at absolutely no charge if you would like a sticker. These are the Hook Waka Bang stickers. They are a Euro decal style, and Hook Waka Bang is a question mark and a greater than symbol and an exclamation point. It has a great many meanings. Many people have told me that this really resonates with them, and I will send one to you. All you have to do is send me your address. And I promise I'm not collecting addresses. I'm not, like, selling them to anybody. I just need your address literally to mail you one of these stickers. This offer is open to anybody in the U.S. and Canada because it's just so darn expensive for me to send them anywhere else. So, to get me your address, send me an email at jeff at builttogo.com. That's two T's, not three, not one. And I will get these out to you as soon as I can. Before we get started here, I need some coffee. Cheers to you. I hope you have a beverage of your choice as well. How do you know when you're ready for van life? This is not a small question, and everyone enters this differently. Some folks have a five-year plan, and they start saving money, and they start building out their van in their brain, and they find the right vehicle and start building it out, and everything goes perfectly. That's maybe 1% of people. Other people like me, get a text message that changes their entire life and suddenly they're looking at their minivan as their new home. Whatever situation you're in, we're going to talk about how you know when you're ready and how to get ready and what to do when that time comes. First thing is to make a plan. Now, again, some of you, you don't have time to make a plan. I totally understand that. But if you do have time, and sometimes that time is just half an hour, Make a plan, but don't make a hard, fast plan with 75 pages of detailed documentation. So I'm going to install this exact gray plastic escutcheon as soon as... No, you don't have to do that. Just have an idea for what you're trying to do. If you saw a post on Instagram of a van on a beautiful beach with naked toes hanging out the back, and you said, boy, that looks great. Excellent. It's not necessarily a plan, though. What exactly are you doing? Is that going to be your life now? You're going to waggle your toes at the beach? You can, if that's what you want to do, but make sure you know what you want to do. Again, not a hard, fast plan, something very flexible. This plan should change often based on new information that comes in. For example, maybe you wanted a specific type of van, but it's not available, or maybe your timeline changes, whatever. Have a statement, kind of a mission statement, like, 
I want to be camping in my vehicle on the summer solstice under an open sky. Set some sort of goal like that and then work around it. I found that that really helped me. I had a goal in mind for building my NV200. I had something specific that I wanted to do with it. And you know what's interesting is I never actually did it. My goal was to go camping at Devil's Tower in Wyoming and watch Close Encounters of a Third Kind in my van in the shadow of Devil's Tower. And I haven't done it yet. I'm still planning to do it. Um, I didn't do it in that vehicle, but I hopefully will do it in the ambulance or whatever my next vehicle is. But that kind of idea set in motion the entire van project. And, and that's what I'm talking about. You need some sort of an inspiration like that. Now, a plan is not a wish list. I'm not, you can make a wish list. Wish lists are great. But the problem is associating your wish list with a plan makes it seem like if you don't get all your wishes, you can't go forward. And that isn't true. A plan is what you're going to do. A wish list is, boy, I wish I could have all this stuff. Separate things. And here's an analogy to think of this. All ships are launched before they sail. Think about that. You ever seen a ship being built? As soon as that sucker can float, they push it off into the water, <laughs> and then they build it from there. And on cruise ships, I happen to know a lot about cruise ships, they're not finished even when they set sail to go out on their first cruise. The, like, for example, they're usually built in France or Finland or someplace like that, and they're coming to the U.S. market. That voyage across the Atlantic, they're not finished yet. <laughs> they're actually putting furniture in and hanging things up all the way along that voyage. And in some cases, they're not even done when they take their first cruises. You can be like that too. It's not a bad way to be. Okay, one thing that's kind of universal is start saving money. All van builds, all van life costs money. The more money you have, the more flexibility you have, the more you can do. So you know that one. Start saving money. And there's 8 million different pieces of advice on how to do this, and I'm not about to wade into that. Just one thing that has helped me is I used to just take a little bit out of my check every week and put it aside in an account that I never touched. I didn't have a credit card for that account in my wallet. I just It was just this account that I ignored and forgot about. And after a couple of years, you know, even like $100 a paycheck or $50 a paycheck, I had enough in there to actually do something with it, and it was painless. I didn't actually notice that money being gone. So maybe that's something you can do. I don't know. Here's some good news. If you throw away your wish list and you start thinking about how you're going to accomplish your plan, you probably have a lot of what you already need because you're living life now. Fan life is just life, and you have a lot of what you need to live life right now. It just needs to get in your van. And by this, I mean, you've probably got blankets and sheets, pots and pans, forks and knives. You've got most of the basic trappings that you need for your van already. Start gathering that stuff. Start thinking, hmm, do I really need three frying pans? Probably not. Which one of these frying pans am I going to take? That kind of a thing. Starting to think like that will start you to get in the mindset of van life. When I first got my NV200, I got, it was, you know, bare bones, empty cargo van. There was nothing in there. And I decided I was going to take it out a week after I got the van. And I just took stuff that was in the house. I set up a bed and I had blankets. I did not even have a sleeping bag. I just had a whole bunch of blankets. I had a little folding mattress that I used. I had a bunch of these plastic storage containers that I put along one wall. I did buy a portable stove because I didn't have one of those. 
and I hit the road in winter and I was driving to New England and I stopped in Ohio at a rest area and had one of the most miserable nights of my life. And I'm so glad I did that because it taught me so much about what I needed to do to get that van to be comfortable. And, and I finally did get there. But if I hadn't had that one night, if I hadn't just dove in, it would have been a much more difficult process. So think about that. Think about stop. perfection is the enemy of good. You will never have the perfect van. I am not encouraging you to stop trying per for perfection, but don't let that goal of perfection stop you from doing what you want to do because time is a precious resource that's running out for all of us. When you do have money, let's say, let's say you're the kind of person that's going to save a lot of money and then jump in. Great. Good for you. Spend most of your money on the van. Now, all right, if you've saved $300,000, you don't have to spend all that in the van. But for the rest of us, you know, if you end up with a $10,000 budget, boy, I'm really going to pressure you to spend as much money as possible on the van and let everything else take care of itself. Yeah, it, it seems kind of lousy that you see all these really cool vans on Instagram and then you go buy your $10,000 van, which is all you can afford, and it's just an empty van. But if you don't do that, you're going to get into the trap of having the $1,500 van that has the really cool layout in the back and it's actually comfortable, but it won't run or it needs a new engine for $4,500, or a new transmission for $3,500, or it's completely rotten out and there's nothing you can do to save it. So many people have had this problem. So please don't do that. Your van has to be reliable or none of this works. Also, don't spend all of your money. You have to have a reserve because stuff happens. It's happened to me, it happens to everybody any moment you can need a repair and sometimes they're very expensive so have a plan for that and no i'm not a big fan of car shield or anything like that we'll just throw that in there also a really cool thing you can do because i know you i know a lot of you are in this boat like god you're ready you are ready to go now but you can't you have to work another six months or you have some obligations that are keeping you at home you can practice van life and i did this in the basement of my house when i was building out the first van i took some masking tape and taped out a piece of the basement floor that was about the size of the van. And then I tried to fit everything in there and I moved stuff around and I basically said, okay, this is my van. Some people even go so far as to make cardboard walls and kind of make a fake cardboard van just to get a sense for what the space is like. And that will help you a lot. That'll save you a lot of time when you start building because you won't have to figure things like that out. Another thing you can do, I know this sounds crazy, but think about it. Spend a couple days living in your bathroom. <laughs> if you have a small bathroom, like you live in an older apartment or whatever, you have a small bathroom, it's probably bigger than your van. It's probably bigger than your van. Imagine staying in there for a couple days and what you would want to make you feel more comfortable. And then make some notes. Boy, I really wish there was a window. Aha, you're the kind of person that's going to want a window in their van. All right, mark that down. Boy, this floor is hard. I really wish I had more mattresses. All right, write that down. You know, that kind of a thing. It sounds silly, but seriously, it is a mental exercise that will help prepare you to actually get out on the road. Another thing you can do, and this is a little strange, this is a psychological trick, is sleep someplace that you would never think of sleeping that's uncomfortable. For example, if you have a house with a basement, take the couch cushions, take them down to the basement, set them up in the corner, and sleep down there. Doesn't that sound awful? 
sometimes sleeping in your van is going to feel like that. The temperature is not going to be what you want. The humidity is not going to be what you want. There might be some strange noises. That's what it's like out on the road when you're moving around a lot. You have to get used to sleeping in unusual environments. And for me, and I've said this many times before, it takes three days to get there. Every time I go out on the road, the first three days are kind of miserable for sleeping. And then finally, I don't care anymore and I sleep like a rock. You can kind of jumpstart that by practicing. Keep in mind that no matter how you approach this, there's no such thing as failure. You can't fail. You are doing an experiment. You are on an adventure. It's an exploration of a new lifestyle, and there is no failing. You can't ever say, God, I failed at this. I mean, you can say that, but there's no point because you're exploring. How do you fail at exploring? You fail at exploring by not trying in the first place. So I encourage you to take some of these small steps to get yourself out there and see if you like it. And, you know, it's okay if you don't. If you try van life for a weekend and hate it and decide to do something else, you are now a better person than you were before. You know something that you didn't know before, and now you've got a new goal and a new exploration, and I wish you the best of luck with that. Tech Talk. So a lot of people's vans are getting broken into, and in the cities, a lot of people's vans are getting stolen, and um, you know that, that's not a great thing. So there's a few ways to prevent your van from getting stolen, and th th there's no absolute way. I mean, a tow truck can always take your van away no matter what. Uh, but there are these club things you put on the steering wheel, and you know there's all kinds of stuff like that. But there's a fairly simple thing you can do that is a visual deterrent as well as an actual deterrence. See, the problem with kill switches is that they're not a visual deterrent. Someone's still going to break your window and try to start your van, and it won't start, but they've still broken your window. The club is more of a visual deterrent. You look in the window, you see the club, and you're like, oh, I'm never going to get past that, except that they can, and the expert thieves will just get through that in two seconds. If you do what I'm about to suggest, you will probably cause enough pause in a thief's mind that they'll move on to another vehicle. Unless they really want yours, and then, well, I don't know. Anyway, here's the idea. Get yourself a piece of chain, fairly heavy-duty chain, not the kind of chain that you could get through with a hacksaw easily. Have it, you know, a, a fairly hefty piece of chain, and it won't be cheap. It'll probably be 20 25 bucks. You want two locks, and they should be key locks because they're a little bit harder to break into, and decent locks. They don't have to be crazy expensive, but make sure they're decent locks. You take one end of the chain and wrap it twice around the brake pedal and then lock it. So there's no way to get that chain off the brake pedal. And then you bring the chain up and put it through your steering wheel, not around the ring so much as around the center hub as much as you can. The idea is you want to make it hard to remove this thing. And as tight as you can without doing damage or setting your horn off, wrap that around a couple times and lock it there too. This does a couple things. First off, someone looking through the window can see this and they're going, it, unlike the club, which they're familiar with, they're going to be like, what the hell's going on here? And then they're going to have to think about what they're going to do to defeat it. And thieves always are worried about time and this creates a time problem for them. So they're likely to move on. The second thing it does is it actually prevents them from driving the vehicle. If they can't step on the brake or turn the steering wheel easily, well, they, they can't drive the vehicle. So their only option is to cut the chain or defeat the locks somehow. Or, and this is what happens with the club, I hate to say this because I might give somebody some ideas, 
people will cut the steering wheel. I mean, you can actually, with a fairly large set of bolt cutters, just cut the steering wheel. The club will come off, and then you can drive the vehicle fine with a cut steering wheel. I mean, you can actually just wrap some duct tape around it, and it's drivable. So, you know, the club is fairly easy to defeat if you have a thief who really wants to, but I think this chain idea will, will be cheaper. Plus, you'll have a piece of chain you can use for whatever else, and, you know, it's easy to try. So, it's just an idea. Maybe it'll be good for somebody. I don't know. If you try it out, let me know. Tales from the road. I got a call. This seems to be a theme for this episode. I got a call saying, hey, we want you to go to Missoula, Montana. Now, I had been to Montana before. I'd never been to Missoula. And this was a call to help out with a flood. And uh, as I've mentioned, I, I've spent a lot of time volunteering with Team Rubicon, and they needed someone to go help manage a sandbagging operation. So basically our mission was to go to Missoula and organize a bunch of volunteers to create sandbags. And I learned a lot about sandbags, that there's actually a little bit of tech involved in sandbags, and we saw a lot of amazing things there. So this is just a few stories from that event. So we went to Missoula and we went to Fort Missoula, which is an old fort, you know, predates World War II. And that's the staging area for all these sandbags. And the idea was we would take pallets and pile them up with sandbags. And then anyone could come and get sandbags who needed them. Or if somebody needed a lot, you know, we had a bobcat with a forklift that we could lift up a whole pallet and put it on a truck. So where do you get volunteers? I mean, sandbagging is a labor intensive thing. Well, as it happened... There was a meeting of the maggots <laughs> that that weekend, and uh, I did not know what a maggot was in this context. Apparently, it's the name for the local rugby club, and they were having some massive gathering of rugby clubs all over the country, and um, they couldn't play because of the flooding. So instead, they all came to make sandbags, like 300 of them, and it was fascinating to watch because... Being competitive by nature, they started being competitive about the sandbags and to see who could make the most and be most efficient. And I, all I had to do was stand, stand back and make sure they had the supplies they needed. I had the easy job, but it was stunning to watch these people just instantly come together. They'd never met before, but they had this common goal of making sandbags to help people. And man, did they make sandbags. We ended up with thousands and thousands of sandbags, and they were set for whatever happened. I mean, it, well, maybe not completely, but we had enough sandbags that that was not their problem in the coming floods. And it was just a, kind of a heartwarming experience to see strangers come together to help strangers. I mean, these people weren't even from Missoula, and it was, it was a beautiful thing. I had a lot of time at this fort, and it wasn't all necessarily needed for managing the sandbags, so I wandered around a little bit, and the buildings we were in were kind of World War II barracks. They're, they're very long, gray buildings with two stories. And somebody said, oh, you should check out upstairs. There's something strange up there, which is, you know, of course, the best invitation I could ever receive. And so I did, and I walked up there, and, you know, it's a World War II barracks. What do you think you would find upstairs and in a barracks that's not really used anymore? You know, maybe some old cots, uh, maybe some sea rations. You know, I don't know. No, I found a courthouse. It was a courthouse set up with flags and a place for the judge to be and paneled walls and some seats. And I was like, what the heck is this? And then I found a plaque. Now, they were letting us use this, this building because they were trying to turn it into a museum. And because this building served a very important role in American history. 
Fort Missoula was one of the camps where interred Japanese and Italian Americans, or actually sometimes Italian nationals, were kept during World War II. If you're not aware of this, that is a damn shame of American education. But uh, during World War II, the American government rounded up all Japanese Americans and several Italians in weird circumstances and put them into camps. Now, this is not comparable to the concentration camps that were in Europe. This is a different thing. This was not an act of genocide. This was an act of xenophobia, a lesser sin, if you would, but a sin nonetheless. And this courthouse that I had found was where these cases were tried, I'm using air quotes here, to see if people should be interred or not. And they almost all were. I mean, there wasn't any like, well, you're a good citizen, we'll let you... No, it was like, you're Japanese, you go in here. As simple as that. And I happened to stumble upon the courthouse where this had all happened. And I can just imagine all the pain and suffering that went on in that room for years during World War II. And uh, I don't know, I, it, was a, it was a sobering moment. And from another perspective, now the fort was actually being used to help people. Maybe the descendants of people who lived in the area who were interred during World War II. Anyway, just an amazing thing to find, and it's really hidden. I mean, I know they're trying to turn the building into a museum, but there just isn't that much money or will to make that happen, because this is a chapter of American history that most Americans either never learn of or try to forget. Uh, but I'm not going to be one of those. Product review. So the fine folks at Bodega sent me a refrigerator. They sent me an email, said, hey, we like your videos. We'd like you to do a review of our fridge. And I was like, okay. I mean, you know, they're going to send me a free fridge. It's fine. Now, I did a review of another fridge made by Set Power earlier, and that's actually the fridge I use in my van. And it was, it was all above board, but they did send a contract. The contract said that if we give you this fridge, you will make a video about the fridge at least this long, I think it was nine minutes, um, within 30 days. And I thought about it, and they, they weren't asking me to be favorable. I could have ripped the thing apart. The only thing I had to do to fulfill my contract was to actually make the video. So I was okay with that. Bodega, they just sent me the fridge. No contract, nothing. They said, here's the fridge. And I don't even have to make a video. Now, I will, because that's kind of the unwritten deal here, but I didn't have to. It, so, first off, everything I say about this fridge is unencumbered by any pressure from Bodega other than the kind of implied pressure of, hey, we gave you something for free, you know, why don't you be nice to us? Except they didn't say that, it's just implied. As it happens, I don't have to worry about it, because I love this fridge, and I think you might too, but it's not for everybody. So, let's talk about it. So this is the Bodega 48-quart or 45-liter 12-volt car refrigerator. And I will have a link in the show notes. And yeah, there's codes and stuff. I'll get to that. But this is a, a larger fridge. And it's interesting because it has big wheels. It has big wheels in the back and a big handle that extends. So this thing is meant to be heavy. And that's a good thing. It, it has so many interesting features, I don't even know where to start, but let's start with the basic facts here. We've got 48 quarts, and it's dual zone, and it's dual zone with separate temperature controls. You can adjust the temperature on either side, so you can have a big freezer and a little fridge, a little fridge and a big freezer, two freezers, or two fridges. Super convenient. I mean, ultimately, what you would want for a long time on the road, you can have everything in here. 
It also has a built-in cutting board that's removable. If you open the lid, there's a cutting board that comes off there, and then you close the lid, and there's a place that it snaps into, and I assume that's for cutting limes. <laughs> because ultimately, this thing is like a tailgating refrigerator, not necessarily one built for van life, although it would certainly work. Also, it has an app. It's a little tricky to set up the app, but once I got it working, I had complete control and monitoring over the fridge from my phone. So if I were driving up front and I pulled over and wanted to change the temperature of my freezer for whatever reason, or turn it on because I was going to stop at the supermarket or whatever, I could do it all from my phone. That was very cool. It has a little USB charger built in, which I don't know why a lot of them do, but you know, it's never bad to have a built-in USB charger. It is a chest style, so the lid opens like a chest, but the door is removable, which is good for a bunch of things. Removing the door makes it much easier to clean. You can also remove the door and set things on it and use it as a tray to carry things over. Or you can just flip the hinges so it'll open up one of two different ways, which is really pretty cool. Inside, in each compartment, are baskets, which is important because like I said, this is a heavy fridge. So if this is in the back of your vehicle and you want to pick it up, it literally might be too heavy for you to do that. So all you have to do is open the lid and take out each basket individually, move the fridge, put the baskets back in, and then you can wheel it wherever you want. I was concerned that the wheels would be kind of cheap wheels, but it turns out they're made out of a pliable, like a vinyl. They're, they're heavy duty wheels and they're not pneumatic, but they're also not going to break on you. They're going to last a long time. So the wheels are absolutely top notch. I, I was super impressed by the wheels and I've been testing it now for a couple of weeks. So the way I test these fridges is, you know, obviously you want to set the temperature and see if it gets to the temperature and none of these refrigerators hold their temperature perfectly. They all vary by five degrees one way or the other, which is fine for practical use. I mean, you know, you're not deep freezing stuff for six months in these freezers. This is, you know, for a week or two usually, and that is totally fine. And this fridge does the same thing. But my real test is, can I keep ice cream in it and can it make ice cubes? I mean, for the freezer test. And uh, yeah, I put a pint of Ben and Jerry's in there. Now, the, the Ben and Jerry's had kind of softened. And after I left in there for a bit, I came back and a couple hours later, it was hard as a rock, like it was in the freezer at the grocery store. So yes. Also, overnight, it made ice cubes just fine. And well, that's the best I can hope for from a freezer. So what are the drawbacks of this thing? Well, it's big. You know, this is not a small freezer. It has these big handles and these big wheels. And if you were going to put this in a van, you'd have to be very careful how you mounted it. If you wanted to have it be removable, like you wanted to be able to take it out of the van frequently, which is not, not a bad thing. You'd, you'd need a lot of space set aside to do that. Or if you wanted to semi-permanently mount it in the van, the good news is, is you can take off the handles, which would save you a lot of space. You just have to make sure you have a good airflow around the compressor. And let's talk about the compressor for a bit. I know the Danforth compressor is what everybody says you should get, blah, blah, blah. But this is that Chinese 12-volt compressor that's found its way into almost all fridges that are made over there. In fact, Bodega is made by Alpacool, if you didn't know that. And um, it just works great. And the benefit it has over Danforth is that it's like half the price. Now, there is one weird thing I've only experienced with this fridge. It makes water noises. 
it sounds like water's running when it's running. It's not terrible. You know, you'll definitely hear it. It's not terrible. But I think what that is is water or, or coolant circulating from one compartment to the other, whereas all the other fridges I've had didn't have that. They, you know, they, they, some of them had two compartments, but one was just warmer than the other. You couldn't control them individually. I think this water sound is how they're managing to do that. Anyway, it's just a little weird. Took me a while to get used to it because uh, the first time I heard it, I thought something was leaking somewhere. But, uh, you know, it's just a peculiarity of these things. One thing I don't like about it is that it's navy blue. And while it's an attractive color, if you were using this outdoors, you don't want a dark cooler. You don't want it to absorb heat. So I'm not sure about that. I think if I were going to keep it outside, I'd want to have a white towel over it. It also has a couple of other weird features. Um, there's a battery in this thing. Now, mine didn't come with the battery, but you can get a battery backup for it. So you can like take it to the beach and it will keep running on the battery. And then there's a solar panel port there. So you can hook up a solar panel that will keep that battery charged. Don't make the mistake of thinking the solar panel is going to power the refrigerator. It's not going to do that. It's just going to power the battery. So I mean, that's really my only negatives about it. Um, they've made it easy to clean. There's a, a plug you can remove to drain water from it, which is rare in these refrigerators. Both compartments light up with LEDs. I mean, it really, they've kind of thought of everything with this, and I love it. I don't know how I'm going to fit it in my van. It's, it's kind of big, so I'm not exactly sure how I'm going to use it, but if you're planning a build, you might want to take a look at this thing. I didn't tell you the best part. It's only 369 bucks on Amazon right now. For a fridge this size with all that stuff, that's pretty darn good. I, I do think you should take a look at this fridge if you're in the market for a larger dual zone fridge. It is really good. And I'm glad Bodega sent it to me because I didn't think fridges with this many features were available at that price point. So I'll have links in the show notes. It's $369 on Amazon right now, which I think is a pretty good deal. There are bigger and smaller versions of this that you can look at, and you can find them from the link as well. Or I do have a discount code if you get it directly from Bodega. If you go to bodegacooler.com and look at any of their fridges, you can use the code JeffWag, J-E-F-F-W-A-G-G, -G, one word, and you will get a discount. <laughs> that discount might vary depending on what sales are going on. This refrigerator retails at $605.37, but it's $369 on Amazon right now, and it's a similar price if you look for the sales on Bodega. And if you're looking for the model number to compare, it is T as in Tom, WW. 45. And you will find things branded Alpacool under that name as well. It's because Alpacool owns Bodega. I clarified that with the company. Resource recommendation. As I mentioned, I bought a Scamp and I'm working on fixing it up a little bit. And ScampTrailers.com, which is the website for Scamp Trailers, you know, the factory is still in business and they have been very good about finding parts. And I've been recommending parts resources a lot lately because that's a really hard thing to find. So I'm going to throw scamptrailers.com in the list. Take a look at the website and take a look at their parts. They're reasonably priced, they ship them quickly, and they have things I've never seen anywhere else. Now, scamps have a style, and um, they have these lights in them that they've had forever. They're these unusual kind of... They're like map lights, but they're super bright and they bend in every different directions. That they're unusual things, but they have them there. It's the only place I've seen them, and they're only fifteen bucks. 
They also have all the rivets and metal parts and everything you would need to fix up your scamp. And if you have a van, you may find some of this stuff useful because, well, they just have it. Um, I can't find it anywhere else. So take a look at scamptrailers.com and take a look at their parts list. Scamps are great. I, you know, I can recommend scamps all day long, but I'm, what I'm really recommending here are the parts that just might be exactly what you're looking for. A place to visit. Okay, this this is a little bit of a confession. Um, I used to work with Atlas Obscura, atlasobscura.com. Great website, lots of interesting stuff to read there, and they have a few books out now. Big fans, okay? And I, I was thrilled to get a job with them. I, I basically did their Illinois stuff for a while. But before I did that, I was kind of a freelance writer for them occasionally. And I wrote an article about places you can experience bioluminescence. And I needed one more place. And, well, I learned of this worm that lives in the sandy soils of Georgia and it glows blue and that's kind of a cool thing and it's certainly an example of bioluminescence and something people not be aware of and I was like well where can we go to see these and there was no place in Atlas Obscura and there was no place generally so instead I, I looked at a map and I looked at sandy places in Georgia with lots of worms and I found one and it is Hawkinsville Georgia and so I created an article on Atlas Obscura about Hawkinsville, Georgia, as a place to go see these blue worms. And now it's been 10 years, and a bunch of people have gone there, and it's now like an actual destination spot for people looking for these blue worms. So I assume that they're there. I've never been. But it's the right kind of soil for them, and I know they're found there. So sure, Hawkinsville, Georgia is the place to go to see these glowing blue worms. And, well... I think that's a place you should visit. It, it's probably a place I should visit too. <laughs> but since I kind of invented it, I don't know. I feel like I don't need to because it's kind of all in my head. There should be blue worms there. And in fact, somebody added to the article I originally wrote that one way you can get the worms to come to the surface is to stick a stick in the ground and then rub it so it vibrates. And that will cause the worms to come to the surface, apparently because they think it's a predator after them or something like that. At any rate... If you happen to be in Georgia and you want to see some slimy, glowing blue worms, Hawkinsville, Georgia is the place. Or so I hear. Thank you everyone for listening to episode 151. Again, I'm sorry I got out a couple days late. I'm going to resume normal schedule right away. Music, as always, is by Simon Wagg. And again, if you want a sticker, send your address to jeff at builttogo.com. That's two T's, not three, not one. Until next week, remember this quote by Albert Einstein. The measure of intelligence is the ability to change. <laughs>